The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino. He is Travis Yuley. It's Wednesday night. Trev, uh, it's been a little while since we've done one of these, and i got a whole lot going on. Where do you want to get started? Yeah, man, it's been a uh, it's been an interesting couple weeks here. Uh, a lot going on with the Browns, the, uh, the Buckeyes, and the Cavs. I'm going to say, let's start with the Buckeyes. The Ohio State University. Uh, I like it. Um, we, I guess the big story that's going on with the Buckeyes right now would be Chase Young. Uh, give me your two cents on this. We haven't really touched on this at all to this point. Yeah, so it's been kind of a weird couple weeks. Um, they've, I feel like um, Ohio State and LSU have sort of separated themselves from everybody else in college football. Um, LSU even more so with their win over Alabama last week. Um, as we know, the, uh, the playoff committee has been relatively – I'll, I'll just say inconsistent. They say they have criteria and then they kind of just do what they want. Um, but there's been two cl- very clear front runners. Very, there's two teams that have been considerably better than everyone else the rest of the season. It's been Ohio State and LSU. Um, OSU started uh, the first CFP poll. They were the number one team in the country. Everyone looked at it, though, and saw, you know, LSU is going to play Alabama. Two versus three. The winner of that is probably going to jump up to one. That's exactly what happened. Um, but the big news for Ohio State has been that Chase Young was briefly suspended um, indefinitely for taking a loan. Who knows what the hell else happened? We don't know how much. We don't know really much of anything. But, um, yeah, he was, he was benched for last week against um, Maryland. He will be benched again this week for Rutgers, but much to the dismay of uh, the Nittany Lion and Wolverine faithful, that will be the end of his suspension. And he will return fully rested, ready to destroy whoever ends up in his path. Sort of a weird story and honestly one that we have a hard time kind of breaking down, I think, because we only know sort of secondary details about it. Um, long story short, he borrowed a little bit of money to fly his girlfriend up to the Rose Bowl, which is weird because all I ever hear from Michigan and Penn State fans is that Ohio State shovels money at their players, which if that was the case, you would think he wouldn't need money to fly his girlfriend out to California. I don't know. That's me. Um, but yeah, ultimately he's going to sit two games. He'll come back rested. Um, so on and so forth, and they still look like they're one of the two best teams in the country. I uh, I was really impressed with LSU in that Alabama game. I, I thought they were decidedly better than Alabama. I think it was only a five point game, the final margin. But that score you, doesn't indi- indicate how that went. Game. I was I gonna say, yeah, I was gonna say. I think you pointed that out to somebody on Twitter that. Alabama, what was it in the second half? They never actually had the ball within one score every time. Yeah, they had- at, no, at no point in the second half did they have the ball with a chance to tie or take the lead. Yeah. Um, I, I was very impressed with LSU. Uh, if you want to get way ahead of things, I, I agree with you, by the way. I think Ohio State and LSU have 
separated themselves from the rest of the field. I know there's some other undefeated teams. Obviously, Clemson's going to want to stick their nose in it still. But, uh, you know, if you want to get away. It's so hard to get a read on, though. Their schedule is such trash. They haven't lost. They almost lost North Carolina. Um, they're so hard to get a read on because they were so damn good in the against Alabama last year that no one knows really know what the hell they are because they haven't been that good this year. It's really bizarre. It's it's kind of a weird season for college football, honestly. Is it one of those things? I feel like the year after Ohio State won the national title the last time they that that next season they won a bunch of games, but they weren't super impressive. You it was really hard to get a read on them. No, um, I think they're. I honestly think they're more like Florida State. Okay. In yeah. 2014, when Florida State won a national title, um, and then the following year was the first year of the playoff, and they kind of slogged through the regular season. It didn't look all that impressive, but everybody's like, you know, they're undefeated and they're a reigning defending champ. Um, and they got in, and then they got their doors blown off by Oregon. That's honestly kind of what I see happening. I don't know if it'll be against Ohio State or LSU. I think I honestly feel like LSU and Ohio State are kind of on a uh, kind of on a collision course right now because because they do seem that much better. Now, obviously, in a playoff, anything can happen. Who knows? But they seem like they're considerably more consistent and less likely to piss a game away on a weekly basis than any of the other teams. And of course, if it would come down to an Ohio State and LSU national championship game, much like it was. Uh, Twelve years ago, I think it was. was oh, that it's gonna game? hurt. In two thousand seven, yeah. Yep. Well, once again, it would be back in New Orleans. So um, we could talk about that another day. A lot, of, a lot of football to be played between now and then. I, I was looking at this. Ohio State's had a couple of games that I, I think Florida Atlantic in Week One and Sparty uh, last month got within. I, I think they lost by what twenty four, and that's been the closest Ohio State uh, anybody's gotten <laughs> to Ohio State this year. It's kind of uh, if funny some, if you if you, when you mention that if I told you week one through ten weeks Florida Atlantic would have the most points against Ohio State what would you have said? I, I would be very confused. It's wild. It's wild stuff. Wild Weird, stuff, wild man. stuff. Let me ask you this though: so you're you're looking at a remaining schedule of uh, Rutgers this weekend, and yeah, then they have a bye week. Okay. So you got Rutgers, <laughs> yeah, bye week. There you go, um, and then uh, Penn State, and then Michigan, and then presumably the Big Ten championship game. If somebody is going to give Ohio State, uh, you know, as much as it can handle here in these next few weeks, one, who is it going to be, and number two, what's going to be the formula uh, to put Ohio State on the ropes? Um. I'm going to say it's sort of a tough call because on paper, I think Penn State is a better team than Michigan, but Michigan will have the home home field advantage while Penn State will be in Columbus. Um, And quite frankly, I've been to Michigan three times and the advantage there is negligible at best. I, I don't know that any of either of those teams can truly we're just discarding Rutgers, right? I'm not going to bring them to the table. You asked which of the future ones. They're gone. Um, I think I'm going to say Penn State because I think James Franklin is a better coach, but I've also watched Penn State over the last couple of years punch Ohio State in the mouth and then fold immediately after. And 
completely choke away games against Ohio State. Last year it was Dwayne Haskins. year before it was JT Barrett. Um, they're just not – they're not a team that I think can close. Michigan, on the other hand, is a team that I don't think can ever get up much and give themselves an opportunity to close. Um, so I don't – I'm a homer, obviously, right? I don't think either one really has that good of a chance. Yeah, me? No, never. (laughs) Ohio State looks so – I don't like to – I don't want to use hyperbole here. They They look like the most complete Ohio State team I've ever seen. And I sat through 2002 when they were loaded on defense and had a very steady offense. I was here for 2014 when, other than Virginia Tech, they steamrolled everyone. This is as good an Ohio State team as I've ever seen. I was there for 98 when, outside of the one Michigan State game, they choked away. Um, They were the best team in the country. I remember all of those. They have no weaknesses. It sounds like hyperbole to say it. I don't think – I will say this. If any team – any other team said, hey, you're in the playoff. You can pick one team you don't have to play. As good as LSU has been, I think every team is picking Ohio State wow. and saying we don't want to play them. Um, I don't know who they're going to play. They're probably going to play Minnesota in the Big Ten championship game. It looks like after the big one last week against Penn State, good for them. Like, PJ's rowing the boat up there. Good for him. That's it's. I I was not – I was not on board with him until that game. I was 100% confident they were going to get their teeth kicked in against Penn State. And they played a great game and stole that game. No, I'm not going to say stole that game because they were up big and they just they made a play at the end of the game, right? But uh, they, they were right in there. They got an interception in the end zone at the end of the game. Like they were up big and then they were kind of they were kind of doing what Penn State has done against Ohio State the last couple of years except they made a play at the end instead of folding like Penn State has done. Wow. Um, yeah, so Minnesota's basically got the inside track on winning the their division now, right? Um, yeah. I, honestly, I don't know all the tiebreakers. I don't know if the tiebreaker for the Big Ten is the, um, the division or not. So I, Wisconsin having lost – um, two games now. If Wisconsin beats Minnesota and they're, you know, they each have one loss in division and Wisconsin has the head to head, does Wisconsin then go or does Minnesota go because they have the it's, better overall conference schedule? So uh, while, I'm, while I'm asking this, I'm looking up the, the standings in Minnesota. I don't know if it's only division or if it's based it's it's conference so they're two okay. games clear right now okay. so, so minnesota's minnesota's basically in yeah they would need uh, to lose both of theirs um they would need to lose to northwestern this week for wisconsin to have a chance so minnesota's in okay um other thing i wanted to ask you about uh, kind of just shifting gears a little bit here but just staying on the topic of ohio state so the game this weekend 3 30 and then the last two regular season games of the year both at noon a lot of Ohio State games this year at noon, uh, thanks to Fox in their uh, big noon Saturday. i got to make sure I pronounce that correctly, as opposed to uh, the fine folks at uh, Banner Society who call it uh, <laughs> Big Nude Saturday. Big Nude oh. Saturday, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, what, what do you make of all these noon games? Are you a fan or not? 
Um, so I'll be honest with you. I, I honestly, if you're going to tell me the last two weeks, last two, three weeks in November, I'm fine with it. Um, quite frankly, the options are noon or 3.30. A lot of people are saying, hey, this should be a primetime game. But the Big Ten rule is if it's after the first weekend in November, which obviously at this point, those are the games that we're in. If it's after the first weekend in November, both teams have to agree for it to be a night game. So Penn State coming into Ohio State, it it doesn't behoove them to play in a night game, right? So Penn State could say, no, we don't want to play in a night game. We want to play earlier. At that point, it doesn't really matter. I don't think there's a big difference between a noon game and a 3.30 game. Um, I'm of the opinion that probably Ohio State also said we don't really want it to be a night game because, quite frankly, it's going to be goddamn freezing for that game. Um, so you know, I, 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 I don't honestly don't think it matters that much. I think I think people are blowing this out of proportion. Yeah, night games are cool, but who really cares that much? I don't think it has that much of an impact on the game. I want when I look at Ohio State, I want whatever. I, I feel confident that they're the best players at every position. I want whatever allows those guys to perform as good as possible. If they think a noon game where it's a few degrees warmer, it's not as dark, it's not as windy, they think that's better, then let's go. You know what's interesting, and I, I should have verified this before. I'm just going to recklessly throw it out here. I saw a stat somewhere that Ohio State's record in Big Ten games where they're playing another top ten team is significantly better when they play those games during the day versus night games. Ohio State's record in night games in Big Ten play, like top 10 matchups, is not really that great, which I was really surprised by. It's probably but, it's probably a little bit slanted because they're I, I feel like they're generally pretty dominant. And so there's a couple I don't I don't know how many games total there are. There's probably, I would guess, there's probably three to four times more game, three to time, three to four times more games that fall into that first bucket. Yeah, where it's not a night game, and so right. the night game bucket probably has you know seven or eight games, and they might be five hundred in those games. So it slants yeah. a little bit because we can That's, we can recall, I can recall a couple Penn State games they lost that were night games. You know, the big whiteout games at Penn State they've lost over the years. Oh um, seven, or not oh seven, oh five. Um, so a couple of those sort of skew it a little bit more just because there's so much, so many fewer games. Yeah. It's kind of interesting to me. I feel like it, just in general college football this year, th- there have been more big games during the daytime than it feels like primetime in a lot of weeks. I mean, like the Alabama LSU game last week was a day game. And I know that one, it was a similar thing. Uh, is you know what's going on with Ohio State, whereas it's, it's TV related. You know, CBS has the they get their first pick of the SEC games every week, so they get one SEC game every week at three thirty. And there's two exceptions to that: they get one doubleheader during the year at some point where there's a game at noon and one at three thirty, and they get one other doubleheader where they get a game at three thirty and one in prime time. And I think like every year recently, they've always taken the Alabama LSU game and made that their one primetime game of the year. Well, this year I'd think they underestimated what LSU was going to be. It felt like that game was starting to lose a little bit of juice 
and they saw that Georgia was going to be a top five team and Notre Dame was, you know, they were a playoff team last year, right? Um, not, no, not last year. Didn't Notre no, Dame like, get rocked by Clemson ago. last year or was that two years ago? Did they? Anyway, Notre Dame is a, is, a, is a big household name. They don't get on CBS very often. CBS decided we're going to make that our primetime game yeah, this year. So they fair. had that in, in September. So, uh, yeah, that was why that game ended up during the daytime. But I, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of interesting what Fox has done because they felt like, well, we can't compete with the SEC at 3.30 and we're not doing well against ABC in primetime. So we're just going to make all our best games at noon every week, which, you know, for the conferences that they've got deals with, you've got the Big Ten, which has got a bunch of schools in the central time zone. You've got the Big 12 and you've got the Pac-12, which is all out on the West Coast and, you know, you know a few schools in the mountain time zone. So super early times wouldn't really seem to fit them very well, but I think they've actually been doing really well with it ratings wise. So I would not be surprised if it continues at least for another year or two. Yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm totally okay. I guess when it's Ohio state, I get more into the night game than I do for anyone else. I don't, I, I like watching a game in the middle of the day on Saturday. That's, that's part of my Saturday. I don't need a primetime game. Um, every week like i think people want it's kind of funny you mentioned ratings i saw um not that long ago with michigan and georgia both being um on the road for notre dame um abc got kicked in the teeth this year with college football ratings um the two pre the two premium games that notre dame had on their schedule have just been they just were on a different channel so they didn't have oh, NBC, you mean? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, NBC. Um, you know, Notre Dame had two, like maybe three, if you want to count USC, but three premium games, and two of them weren't even home games for Notre Dame. They just got destroyed. I, I wanted to say they, they, their ratings were like forty percent lower than they're used to. Wow. Um, which is huge, but it's also like they only carry one team. So how much yeah. can you really evaluate them? Um. But to your point, I, I like the night game. I like the night game early in the season for those non-conference matchups. I don't really care that much during the regular season. If I'm going to a game, I love I love going to a 3.30 game. I enjoy a noon game. I'm going to the game next week against Penn State. I'll tell you what, I am ecstatic that I don't have to sit. I don't have to get there at 8 o'clock when it's 20 degrees. And I'm freezing my ass off. Um, I'd probably prefer 3.30, but overall, a night game would not be a good fan experience. Yeah, yeah I, I hear you there. Um, yeah, you'll be you'll be colder than uh, oh, that, uh, that Bud Light be. fridge in your living room that I, I saw the picture <laughs> of thing, today. That thing is a beauty, let me tell you. <laughs> Why don't you... Let's, let's talk about it. The, uh, the Cleveland Browns, you got your own victory fridge. Uh we are in, in weird times for the Browns. It's been a very odd season. Finally got a, the first win at home all year this past Sunday. Not uh, anything that's going to go on, on the mantle in terms of um, style points, but a win is a win. 
And uh, by the time people are listening to this episode, it'll, uh, we've uh, got the Steelers game here coming up on uh, on Thursday night at, at home as well. Um, are, is your, <laughs> I don't know, I guess best place to start, is your victory fridge going to stay locked or are you popping that bad boy open tomorrow? Let me tell you this. At the beginning of the season, I bought this fridge. I ordered it. I said, you know what? Once the uh, once the Browns get their first win, once they make the playoffs, I get all these things I was going to do with this fridge when I got it. And then they emailed me and they said, you know what? It's not going to be like three to five days like we told you. It's going to be like six to eight weeks. I said, oh, well, that's, that's a real punch in the dick. <laughs> and But you know what? Whatever. You know, whatever it is. And they got out to a slow start. And things didn't go all that great. Um, obviously the Browns have not started the way anyone thought they would start. They've not looked that strong. And then I got an email yesterday that said, your fridge is coming tomorrow. So I'm going to tell you this. The fridge is here. Pittsburgh is fucked. (laughs) We're running the league from here on out. (laughs) Fridge is in place. Browns are ready to go. Wow. Throw him down the gauntlet. My goodness. I'm calling my shot. I was at the game on Sunday. um, And you're right. Wasn't, you know, it's not, it's not a work of art. Wasn't a beautiful game, but they went against a damn good defense and they needed to score and they drove down the field and scored like that. I, there's not, you can, you can take a lot of negative from that game. Just the way it was called generally the way that they, they operate. It didn't look like a great team performance, but when their backs were against the wall, they got it out there on the field, and they they moved the ball right down the field and scored a touchdown when they needed one desperately to keep their season alive. I take a lot from that it, that specific part because they've taken a lot of shit. I mean, and 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 much of it deserved, like fully valid, right? But. They were in a sort of a do or die position. That was as that was as must win a game as you can have in the middle of the season, right? That was basically if they lost that, their season is completely done. Now it might still be. They're probably let's be honest, they're probably still not going to make the playoffs. But if they lost that game, they were definitely out. Let me and ask they you this. The call. Let, let me ask you this. So you were in the building for that. All right. Browns get the ball, game-winning drive. They're sitting about, what, 75 yards from the goal line. They're season on the line. What was the mood in that stadium like at that moment? Because I can distinctly remember when I was down there for the Baltimore game last year, and it was like do-or-die time in that game, a little earlier in the season. Hugh Jackson was still employed by the Browns. You started hearing the Baker Mayfield chants there was just a real sense in the whole stadium of like, they're going to figure this out and he's going to be the reason why. And it came to fruition that, you know, I think it was Willie's had the big catch. They go down the field, they get the, uh, the, the walk-off field goal with two seconds left. Hugh Jackson thought they still had to kick the ball off after that. That's a story for another day. Um, hey, but- Hugh Jackson, he gone. <laughs> he gone. Don't care about him. But, you know, there was a sense of belief, and it was so jarring to me because it was the first time in forever that I could remember feeling that at a Browns game. And I'm wondering, 
was that kind of optimism still permeating that place now or are people yeah. a little bit more on edge? No, people were optimistic. Now there was the play that got ended up getting overturned and there's a lot of people that when they saw that it was originally called a fumble um, and the Bills took it back for a touchdown, a lot of people were like, ah, shit, okay, whatever, and they started filing out. I don't blame anyone for that, honestly, because – Okay, if 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 that was the call, then the game was over at that point. Um, but no, before that, everyone was generally optimistic. Um, I looked at our good buddy John Rusnak and I said, "No, that's a forward pass. They're getting this ball back and they're gonna go down the field and score." That was a little lubed up at times, so um, my perspective might be a little bit skewed. But you had a moment of clarity. It sounds like to me. I really did. Um, Side note, by the way, and I said this on Twitter as I watched that play unfold, it's great that the Browns got that overturned and ended up getting a mulligan. But that little play that they run with the with the shuffle pass forward, uh, that needs to get torn out of the playbook and burned because how many times this year have they tried to run that in different situations and ended up looking like Daffy Duck with his bill shut off? It's a disaster every time they run that play, and they're lucky that it didn't uh, bite him in the ass there. It was brutal. Yeah, I mean, the call was right, but I agree with you. Like, the play call is probably not the right one for that situation, and they executed it terribly. Like, that should not be – that shouldn't – we watched – it's funny because we watched – Ohio, we were just talking about Ohio State. We watched Ohio State do that last year repeatedly with no problem whatsoever. Those are college players. Dwayne Haskins to Paris Campbell and um, uh, Terry McLaurin. Like, they ran that play last year frequently, and they practiced it. So when they ran it, they were able to execute it. The Browns aren't synced up. They're not on the same page. It's just a play that they're not capable of running yet. Well, I'm guessing Ohio State's line probably had much better uh, push up front and didn't create such a messy pile uh, for the wide receiver to try to be, you know, navigating as he's going through to to catch the ball and whatnot, or the the running well, back or anybody else that they're trying to run up in there uh, to take that that pitch. Fair, I should hope so. But the Browns' offensive line is going against guys like Miles Miles Garrett every week. Right. If they've been practicing that play, they should be able to do it. If they haven't been able to get away with it in practice, don't run it in games. I'm with you. Throw it away until you can execute it against a, de- a decent well, line, right? Based on what I've seen so far this year, even if it's working during the week in Berea, you could still throw it away during the games. I, I don't want to see it anymore. I'm still haunted by that uh, pick the uh, against the Patriots a few weeks ago. Uh, same deal. Um, you know, it just kind of speaks to a, a broader – picture with Freddie Kitchens I will give him credit for this I was really encouraged by what I saw with how they implemented Kareem Hunt this week and you setting aside the off the field stuff with Kareem Hunt and whatever you thought about the signing that's a whole discussion for another day if he's going to be on the team and he's going to play I did not have they a lot of well. I, I did not have a lot of faith that they were going to use him well, given what we've seen in a lot of other facets of the game plan this year and, and just the way the Browns have gone about things and the way Freddie has coached games. I my confidence level was not real high, but the way they they 
brought him in and those two back sets where him and Chubb were on the field together and he was blocking for Chubb. I think Chubb was getting like seven or eight yards per carry when he had Kareem Hunt on the field. That That's a nasty combination to, to have uh, working together. And they really, I, I thought the distribution between those two guys, they got them both involved. And uh, I thought it was really effective. Yeah, I, I'll say when I was when I was watching the game and near the end, especially when it was like, wasn't necessarily the last drive, but near the end of the game, the last few drives that the Browns had, I'm standing up there wondering why the hell they're not running the ball more um, because they're running it incredibly effectively. And every time they ran it, it was a big chunk yardage, right? And then I'd look over at our buddy John and say, hey, I need to run the fucking ball here. Just keep, just keep pounding it, right? And then they pull back and they incomplete pass or whatever the hell it was. I'm like, it reminds me of, I always hear the story. There was a story about Jim Trussell when he first started at Ohio State, his first game at Ohio State. He ran the ball. He ran the same exact play, like a dive play up the middle six or seven times. And he ran it for five, six, seven yards. And he ran it six or seven times. And one of the coaches buzzes down and says, hey, um, we going to call another play? He goes, yeah, once they stop this one, we'll call another play. Right. Why are why are we getting cute? Like they they're not stopping us. This and been... it, just, it just boggles my mind. Like you have you had one of the best running backs in the league all season. Now you have two of the best running backs in the league, and they're running the ball well. They're, they're Buffalo's executing. run defense is not very good. Yeah, they're they're their defense overall is good, but their weakness is very clearly stopping the run, especially against good running teams. And we're, we're trying to get cute. Like we'll run the ball for six or seven yards. And then all of a sudden we'll be like, okay, let's throw twice. So why don't we just run it again? Get the first down and keep moving. Like, I don't, I know it's very, it's very simple. And I'm it's, it's sort of like football one-on-one and maybe the analytics don't support it. I don't know, but I watch it and People who have watched, I feel like people who have watched football for a long time would be like, why are you not just picking up first downs against this team that clearly cannot stop you from running the ball? It's indicative, I think, of the larger issue that has plagued the Browns in that department this year with decision making. You know, it was the thing that really concerned me. It was the one thing I, I think overall I was pretty positive about the Freddie promotion to the head coaching position when, you know, that was announced back in, what was that, January. But the one thing I said was, okay, he's been great at calling plays and being the offensive coordinator. How is he going to handle game management and, you know, the bigger picture issues? And you know, the, the, the best thing I could compare it to is, do you know, like when you're playing a game of Madden and there's those things that you do in Madden that people just would never actually do in real life because, but you know, you can kind of junk the game up on Madden because that's how you end up winning the game, the video game. And you end up beating the computer. Freddie kitchens does those things in real life. And there's a reason that people <laughs> don't do those things in real life. It's yeah. Just, you're going for it on like fourth down every time. Right. Yeah. yeah. Just the questionable fourth downs, the, uh, the, the bizarre play calling in the red zone, the ill-advised challenges, uh, using your timeouts and, and, and not using your timeouts when you I should. Read, I, I criticize Freddie for everything. The one thing I'm not going to criticize him about is the challenges. Because honestly, 
and maybe maybe that's too fair to him. Every NFL team has a guy who's up in a box somewhere looking at those saying, yeah, challenge it or don't challenge it. You can't expect the head coach to know. So, A, if he hired the guy that's up there and is telling him to challenge shitty times, then okay, then it's on Friday. If it's a guy who organization is put in that place and that guy just sucks at his job and they're giving him bad feedback, then it's on them. Um, everything else, though, entirely valid. I just that's a great – that's a great question about who is telling him when to make challenges. And, it or it is, shouldn't be him. I swear to God, if it's him, I'm furious at everyone. Because he's uh, the guy that catches all the flack for that. And oh, it yeah. never even occurred to me that there's probably somebody up in the booth. You're right. And I, that never gets brought up. I have no clue who would be the person on their staff. Every, every somebody team else. has somebody. Usually there's a, a guy on the staff that is responsible for that. I don't know who it is with the Browns, and I haven't seen. I've, I've I've actually paid a little bit of attention and tried to see who that is, and I haven't heard anyone say. Um, but if there's if as they were discussing like responsibilities and and roles, they decided yeah the head coach should be deciding this himself. That's next level incompetence across the board. Yeah, I swear yeah. I, I pray that that's not the case, and it's just someone who's <laughs> bad at his job, but. Who knows? At some point, though, like common sense has to override things like and I don't want to single out too many. But just as an example, that when they challenged the spot in that Denver game a week and a half ago when Baker got stuffed. I disagree with you on it. I disagree with you on that. I think that was a good challenge. Why? Because he had it. Okay, first of all, I looking at the replay, I was less convinced that he had it than when I saw it in real time because I felt like his dive was a lot more east to west and not north and south as it looked like in real time. And I watched, so, uh, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. Number two, and the, and the bigger reason is I felt like the replays that we got on television, maybe they're seeing something different there. Uh, there was nothing that was like overwhelming, conclusive, and if you've paid any attention to the way replay has gone across the league this year, they're not overturning anything unless it is overwhelmingly obvious. So you had to know going in, you could be mad and feel like you got hosed on the original spot and that's fine. And maybe you did, but there was nothing in any replay that we saw that I felt like was overwhelmingly obvious that was going to force anybody's hand to overturn that call on the field. They, they had no chance of getting that call uh, overturned when they challenged it. When I watched it and I saw, yeah, he definitely got the, I think it was the four yard line was what he needed to get to. Um, so yeah, he definitely got it. And then they marked him, you know, half a yard short and they challenged and they ran it four times, four or five times. They re, they replayed it and they talked to the two guys who were in the booth and both those guys said, "Oh yeah, he got the four. So they, they, yeah, they, they'll, they'll overturn this." And then they called in the, the I think it was Dean Blandino. I can't remember who it was. The the official guy. He's like, "Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we definitely could see here on the video that he got to this point. So they'll this will be a first down for the Browns." And then they go back to the game. And they're just like, "Oh no, yeah, we're just stick with this on the field." Now you can argue that, um, it the standard for them to change a call is incredibly high. Okay, um, but in that scenario, with what I saw on the video and what literally every person 
I saw on Twitter. I saw on TV. I heard on TV. Every single person was saying, yeah, he definitely got to that point. That sh- that mark is definitely at least a yard ne- or at least, you know, half a yard short and should be at the four yard line. That's where you should be challenging. I'm OK with that. Um, truthfully, replay's been fucking dreadful all year. Like it's been terrible, not just for the Browns in general. It has been awful. Even more, even more apparently awful since they introduced the pass interference replay thing, which is basically just unless it is an egregious game changing end of the game penalty, fuck it, we're not giving it to you. <laughs> like, why? Well, I, I honestly don't even know why they did it. Why they did it? Because it, they watch it at least once a week. There is a very obvious play in a very obvious game where it is. Clearly, by definition, pass interference. Just like, yeah, no, we're just sticking with the ruling on the field. So then, why do we even have it? Why do we introduce this rule if no one's ever going to enforce it? You know, related to this, have you noticed? And I think this was pointed out by Drew McGarry, the uh, the former uh, dead spinner. How often this year on all the different networks that when there is a replay challenge, they make the announcement on the ruling while they're still in commercial. And then when they come back from commercial, whoop, just swept it right under the rug and let's move on. Oh, that was a great Midwestern audio. Oh, just going to sweep that under the rug there. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's funny. It's funny you point that out because I, I notice it when it happens. And I I am always a little confused. Like, since when do we not announce this on TV? But now that you mention it, you're right. They do kind of just, they just don't want attention I, on it. I just assume that was like a function of trying to shorten game times and just get things moving along quicker. And maybe it is that as well. But if you're a good conspiracy theorist out there and and you think that they're trying to cover their tracks and and downplay and and distract from dubious uh, replay decisions, that would certainly uh, feed into it. Yeah. I mean, there's been multiple times this year where I've been watching a game and I, I usually chalk it up to the fact to the fact that Fox sucks. Um, but multiple times I've been watching the game, be like, why can't? Why is there no replay? Like that was very clearly an important play. Like we don't know for sure what happened there. Why are we just going on and pretending that that wasn't something that we should look at again? Um, I, hate to, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, the Thursday night game is going to be on Fox, and they just announced it was today that the game against the Dolphins has been cross-flexed over to Fox. Oh, those no-good so. sons of bitches. <laughs> you get to, to see extra extra Cletus the robot. Actually, not going to matter for the Miami game. Oh. I will be in person. Oh, Let's well, there go. you go. There Let's you go. go. Your, your problem is solved. Yes. All right, well, before the Browns kick off on Thursday night against the Steelers, the Cavs are going to be uh, – Playing in the JV slot up the street at uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, a, a 6 p.m. weeknight start. Kind of strange, but I'm guessing they did not want to go up against a, a Browns primetime game. And, uh, Trev, we got to talk about the Cavs a little bit. Uh, we're 10 games into the season now, and I, I don't know how closely you've been paying attention to them, but this has been a very fun start to the year. I'm pleasantly surprised by what we've gotten so far. Yeah, it's I I'll, I'll admit I haven't watched I haven't watched long I haven't watched many 
I haven't watched an entire game beginning to end. Um, it's going to be great. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I've watched, I've watched bits and pieces here and there. I've tracked scores. Um, and truthfully, this, this will feel like a weird thing to say. I feel like I have a pretty good feel for how the Cavs have been based on Twitter reaction. Okay. Because everyone, everyone is generally optimistic. Um, I think you said it, you said it generally captured the general theme or the general uh, feeling around the team the other day when you said this team might not, basically this team might not win a ton of games, but they're fun to watch. They're well coached. They play well together. Um, They're developing. They know what to do. Um, They're, they're kind of what you would want a team in their position to be. Fair to say. Absolutely. I got to tell you it, I want to start with John Beeline because as frustrated as I've been with Freddie Kitchens, I am really blown away by what Beeline has done with this Cavs squad. I wasn't really sure how he was going to translate to the NBA. You know, there's certainly a case for why it could work. Actually seeing it in practice was going to be a different deal. Um, And I was especially concerned. I I should have mentioned this on the Cavs preview episode we did a few weeks ago, but it was a little alarming to me where at the end of the preseason, they got their doors blown off by the Celtics and he was lamenting the lack of practice time that they had had and injuries and things that had derailed them during their training camp. And I'm like, if you are concerned about a lack of practice time during training camp, Will you see what happens when an NBA regular season starts and you're playing three or four games every week? Um, and things were a little bumpy in that, that first week of the season. Uh, you know, the, the first game down in Orlando, I think they were down by almost 20 at one point. Uh, they fought back. They, they made that game somewhat interesting and then won the home opener. And since then, I mean, they've been competitive in every single game that they have played to this point. Um Really, in, in the difference in just how cohesive they look compared to last year is a night and day difference. And I really think that comes down to, you know, Beeline and really that whole staff, um, the, the defense. I mean, they actually like rotate on defense and um, it's it's refreshing, <laughs> it's surprising. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And the other thing that's really crazy so far this year is if you look at their starting five, their net rating with their starting five so far this year, that group has been one of the best five-man units in the entire NBA. I, I think as of a couple days ago, um, going into either the Knicks game or the Sixers game, that that starting five was like the fourth best five-man unit in the entire NBA by net rating, which is wild. Especially when you consider that Darius Garland you know, our rookie point guard really hasn't even gotten totally settled in yet. Yeah. I think the one thing I've noticed the most, um, just general consensus and what I've seen for the, for the bits and pieces I've watched is Garland looks like Garland looks like the real deal who needs to, he doesn't need, I'm not going to, he needs to figure out, feel out the game, right? He needs to get a better feel for the NBA game. Um, when to pass, when to shoot, things like that. But general, he's got all the skills, right? He's got all the all the talent in the world, and 
it seems like he might be exceeding expectations a little bit. And on the other side, Sexton is a guy who I've I've been relatively on this. I've been pretty vocal that I don't know how high his ceiling is. And I don't know that he can ever, you know, I don't know how much he can ever really excel. He's been sort of, you know, he, he's improved in just about everything from last year. Um, and he, he looks were- like a guy who just became a, a, a little better player. I don't know how much better. And I still don't know where his ceiling is, but all these question marks we had about him last year, he got a little better at all of those. Um, so that's, I mean, that's that's all you can really ask for. And I think for some of those things, we didn't know if he could even get better at them, right? There's certain things that we just thought, you know, defense and three-point shooting, we thought he might just he might just be limited at those. He might never really be able to improve. And it seems like he did put a concerted effort in the offseason to get, get to just making his game better all around. And it, it seems like it's really showing. It's If you saw any of the game on Sunday night at New York, you're not going to get that every night from him, but that was the full Colin Sexton display. He was fantastic in every aspect of the game. He it was it was really just tremendous to watch. I think he put up 31 points. Um, Garland, you know, he looks like a guy right now that played four games last year in college, in which he did. <laughs> so I mean, it, it's easy to forget that sometimes. I mean, he shows the little flashes here and there. Uh, settles for that floater a little bit more than I would like. Um, but then every once in a while, you know, he has that play like last night at, at Philadelphia where he crosses a defender up and breaks his ankles twice and goes in for an uncontested layup. The talent's there. Uh, I think it's just a matter of getting comfortable, shaking off the rust, um, and just getting acclimated to the NBA game. I mean, those two guys, they're both young, and it's easy to forget that because they're both – in in the starting lineup and they're playing legitimate starters minutes. Um, but it, it's encouraging what we've gotten out of them. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you look at the two old heads that are in that lineup. Um, I think Kevin Love has settled into a really nice spot for him. Um, they're, they're using him in a lot of good ways. Uh, and Tristan Thompson, as far as I'm concerned, I think everybody likes to, look back at the 2016 finals and rightfully so he was great in that series. I I feel like right now as a complete all around player, this is the best he's ever looked in his career. He's still giving you the rebounding. He's still giving you the defense, but he's gotten a lot better at finishing around the rim. He knocked down two threes last night. Um, He had the one possession uh, with about two minutes to go where he tried to basically go one on five and uh, ended up firing (laughs) up the, Whatever that was, um, is that something he's worked on? Like, has he been working on his threes? Because uh, yeah, in, in years past, they would give him that shot, and he wouldn't even bother taking it. I feel like more was made of Larry Nance doing that in the off season than Tristan. Okay, so I, yeah, I'm a little surprised to see him taking that shot. But I mean, if he's going to be able to at least make defenses think about it a little bit. I mean, that's obviously the one that you want the Cavs settling for, but if he's going to show that he's at least got a baseline of competence out there, that that kind of is interesting and throws another wrinkle at opposing teams. And I don't know, that's, that's kind of fun. I mean, um, yeah, they're never going to run out and try to stop. No, him there, you're, but... you're not scheming up trying to take away Tristan Thompson from the three point line, but 
uh, you know, one more thing to think about. That's that, that's that's good. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with the Cavs. I don't know. I mean, there's obviously there's the whole thing about what happens with their draft pick if they fall out of the top ten. You know, it's the phrase you you, you want to be better than last year, but not too good. It's draft picks are you know, there's obviously a premium on that. Um, but I mean, we'll see what happens. I, I don't know. They're, they're, they're fun. They're enjoyable to watch for now. And, uh, it's, there, there are signs that they are headed in the right direction. And, you know, if you just look at, at the organization broadly, I I think beeline and that staff seem like they know what they're doing. Very positive early returns. Kobe Altman, I think is, done well to this point in the rebuild you know a lot of work still in front of them and it's you know the climb gets steeper moving forward I mean I think anybody can go into asset collection mode it's what you do once you start getting some of those assets to work with but he just got an extension so he's locked in by the way the first ever general manager to get an extension with the Cavs since Dan Gilbert bought the team in 05 that still boggles my mind when <laughs> which, you consider which it does, but then you think about it, and you're like, yeah, it makes it, sense. yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, that sounds that, right. That's that's fair. But, yeah, they uh, didn't extend David Griffin, so right, they're not. Yeah, that's not really his his mo. Um, mm. But generally, it seems like for the most part, the theme is this is pretty much exactly what you want to see out of the team at this point, right? Yes, and let me ask you a question. So there, there, there's this theory floating around that, you know, Tristan, I mean, he's a free agent after the year and there's some discussion. First of all, anybody who says that he's a buyout candidate is out of their mind. <laughs> there is absolutely no reason whatsoever right now. Why I saw the rumor out. floated. I saw the rumor floated. And then I saw probably 10 people you included that were like, that makes zero sense whatsoever. So I take the word uh, unless he pushes like the nuclear option and forces their hand which he's shown no signs of doing so far. There's no reason to do that. Um, Maybe there's a trade, you know, once you get towards the deadline in February, that makes sense. He's certainly playing his stock up with the way he started this year. Um, You know, I'm at least willing to entertain offers. Personally, I'd rather re-sign him and keep him around. I think he's valuable to the to the organization and, and, and just what he brings beeline has been raving about him already and how much he loves coaching him. Uh, you know, Kevin loves another one. Does, is he really happy here or is he playing a good soldier until they could find another situation for him to be in? I don't know. I mean, he's been the consummate pro for his right. entire time here, honestly. Yeah. Like I mean, that, he's, he's, been through right a, he's been through a ton and he handles everything perfectly. Yeah, and the the point that I'm getting to here is like if you know if he wants out, you know maybe it's because you know when he signed his huge extension a year and a half ago, it was on the premise that the Cavs were going to try to keep things together and keep competing. Let me ask you this: going back to that point, had the Cavs stayed the course on that, would they be better right now? versus the direction that they have taken and where they're at right now. Obviously they might the, be, the, the they might be mar- they, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, obviously long-term the direction that they're going in right now, 
they're they're it's a better path. But the whole theory behind that is that it's short-term pain for long-term gain. My point is I'm not convinced they actually would have a better record right now had they not broken that team up and had they just stayed the course with all the guys that they had. Because if you look back at that roster, you had a lot of older guys who were all complementary pieces and are most of them were on the back nine of their careers. I don't really, and, and you did not have a lot of uh, means to go out and get significantly better. I don't know what the ceiling was for that group, but I don't think it was theoretically that much higher than where they're at right now, which is hovering just below 500. So I, I guess my point is like, if you were frustrated, maybe you felt, you know, hey, you guys said you were going to keep the band together and then you didn't. Maybe you'd be frustrated by that. But in terms of like the quality of the roster, I'm not convinced that even where they are already right now, that they're that much worse than where they would have been. Yeah, they might be marginally better, but I don't know that it would show up much in the record. Um, Maybe a game or two here and there. But you're right. Long-term and general you know, trajectory of the team the way they're going is considerably better than that would have been. Um, that was sort of a dead end, sort of a dead end street that didn't have a whole lot of upside to it. There was a, a, a very low ceiling to that, to that original plan or that, you know, that path that they were going on at some point. Um, I think where they're at right now, it's, it's, it, it's probably more optimistic, more positive than I expected it to be. Um, it's from what I've seen, it's a team that's 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 relatively fun to watch and a lot of young talent that can develop and some veteran guys. But you're right. There's no point in in overpaying for a bunch of aging veterans who might win a couple games for you scoring 90 some points and slowing the game down and not not, you know, not really building towards anything. They're just right. playing a game. They're maxing out their potential in one game, but they're not going to get any better than they currently are. This right. is a team that's working towards getting better, and that's what you want to see. Yeah. Well, they're heading in the right direction so far. It's been uh, enjoyable to watch, and uh, I, I'm encouraged by what we've seen so far. So let's uh, let's see where it goes. Uh, anyway, uh, anything else on your mind before we close up shop? Um, no, I think that's about it. I think we, uh, we touched on the big three right now, so I think we're good. All right. Are you staying down in the state capitol tomorrow for the, uh, for the Browns or are you, you're not coming up? Yeah, no, no, I'm not coming up. It's, uh, the weekday complicates things a little bit, but, uh, me, I'll be up, uh, I'll be up next week. So. Okay. Good deal. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and shut it down then. Take it home. All right. As always, we are on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, the TuneIn app. You can stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. And we uh, are also on Facebook, facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at The Nail Podcast. That's going to do it for us for this week. Travis Hewley, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. 
And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.